but prepare for wizardly combat. I want to show you a trick Mother showed me when you weren't around. And I'll not laugh across the button. Welcome to Spellburn, a podcast covering the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game and old-school adventuring. It's time to party like it's 1974. This week on Spellburn, the Judges J have cast a ritualized version of Invoke Patron to summon a very special guest, Terry Olson. Terry has written several Dungeon Crawl Classic adventures for Goodman Games and even contributed a letter to the Monster Alphabet. So with that, let's welcome Terry to the show. Hello, everybody. Hey, Hey, glad you could join us tonight. Thanks for having me. No problem. Cool. So with that, let's roll it on over to Tavern Talk where we talk about what we did in gaming this past week. And the first rule of bartending is this. GBTB. Go beyond the book. Go beyond the book. What do you have? Heineken! F*** that Tavern Talk. Okay, so, like we like to do to our guests, we like to put the guest on the spot first. So, Terry, what have you been up to in gaming within the past week, couple weeks? What What's new? What kind of games are you playing right now? Well, this week I uh, submitted a couple of games for Gen Con. So I'll be, I'll be running two um, for Goodman Games. So I submitted those. Um, I set up playing in a playtest of something Stephen Newton is writing in a couple of weeks, so I'm looking forward to that. It's always fun to get together with that crew and uh, and play. Did a lot of writing. There's something I'm I'm trying to hammer out that I've been working on for a while, which is the thing I'll I'll play test in Gen Con. So I mostly been mostly been writing. Uh, my normal gaming group, uh, which has Steve Bean and Roy Snyder and a couple other guys, Tom Brooks and Nigel Duffy. We've been sort of on hiatus over the holidays, and we're trying to get back in the swing, but haven't quite done it yet. So mostly writing and scheduling. So I think the holidays mess up everybody's gaming. I know they got in the way of mine. Definitely. That's her hurt. But, Jen, how about you? Do you have time uh, to game even this month? or? <laughs> yeah, actually, um, our Wednesday game at the house is still going, first edition. We're almost done with uh, G3. I'll be so happy to wrap up these stupid giants. We just had another campaign session with uh, Lankmar for some playtesting. And in my DCC game, Bob had to go and throw everything on its head and uh, his PC is becoming a patron. So that'll be interesting next week. We're running the tail end of Beyond the Black Gate, and in it is the Horned King, you know, the Lord of the Great Hunt. Yeah, someone thought it would be a good idea to take his crown, and someone else thought it would be a better idea to kill him while he wasn't wearing it. So, yeah, that'll put a few kinks in the works, but I think after this one, we might be taking a small hiatus so we can get some other stuff playtested 
I I just finalized my events for GaryCon, so I need to run those through a few tests before I bring them on the road. Cool. Sounds like you've been pretty busy with gaming then. You know, I I like to immerse myself in that because it's a different form of numbers. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> it, it's like editing. I, I really appreciate getting to play with letters instead of numbers all the time. <laughs> Down the line, uh, Job? Uh, so the, this weekend I just uh, ran some DCC. Uh, basically, I think I've complained a bunch of times on here about the Wizards of the Coast uh, Adventures League adventure I wrote that they like butchered. So I ran once or twice. <laughs> yeah, so I uh, I needed something to run, and I was like, oh, you know what? I'll run that since no one's ever gotten to, to play that. So we did a DCC version of it, um, and we did. Let's see, I let people just dig through my crawls and make some level two adventurers. So we uh, we had uh, one bard, which is Mike Lowe. I don't know if you know him from Google Plus. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But he moved out to Seattle, so we we've been hanging out a little bit. Oh, um, cool. Yeah. So he played the bard. He was really good. He was a good bard. Let's see. And then we had an elven rogue um, from Crawl 10, I think it was. And so those played uh, pretty well at the tables. It was a lot of fun. We we didn't do the uh, the dwarven priest of Jeffrey's. Uh, Aww. So, yeah. I tried to get someone to roll up, but they had someone that had already brought a cleric that was already at level two. So we just used that instead. Yeah, but it wasn't a dwarven cleric, right? <laughs> No, it wasn't a dwarven cleric. Man, but we'll see next time. Because yeah, I, I I want to play more of those classes. You know, add some some uh, spice after playing uh, DCC all these years. But yeah, the, so it opens up the adventure opens up a little bit of uh, sleuthing around the town. And I told you about the group that I play with that they Bart and Bennett and Dave and everybody. They all known each other and been gaming since they were in grade school or something. Yeah, they didn't really follow any of the clues. They just, at the first chance, just wandered out of the city and started traveling around along the river. Then they just started killing children and... God. Murder hobos. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bad. I finally, like, a raven had to land and, like, caw, caw. And it had, like, a note, like, here's how you get to the dungeon, idiots. <laughs> so they nice. finally They finally got there, We and we played for, like, five hours and... We didn't get halfway through, so <laughs> maybe Wizards was justified in cutting down my my twenty nine room adventure. Well, if you'd been able to keep them in the city, <laughs> well, I think so, man. They just kept going off the rails, and then they were, you know, just eating all the pizza. And... <laughs> yeah, it's I don't know. It's kind of like daycare or something when those guys come over. <laughs> it's nice to have a bunch of guys you've been playing with for a while, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've been playing them for like since I moved here. I don't know, five years or something. Anyway, so that was uh, my weekend in gaming. How about you, Jeffrey? Uh, so l- the holidays put a bit of a damper because usually Thursdays nights are the nights we play. So that fell on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve and stuff. So uh, uh, we played recently, but it was we just played uh, board games, the most recent game. So we really haven't done a whole lot. And I don't know what we have in the works. One of our we have a person that sort of plays seasonally. I think he's going to run something, but he's going to surprise us. So I'm not sure if it's going to be something fantasy or something. I don't know what it's going to be. But that should be starting next week or the week after, and we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, the holidays kept us all pretty busy, so I didn't really get a chance to play with the group. Bummer. Yeah, I know. I know. You know, all, the holidays, all that time, you'd think we'd be able to find the time to do it, but it, it just didn't happen. So my week was pretty pretty laid back. 
So I think that wraps up Tavern Talk. Let's go ahead and summon some emails. You've got mail. Message for you, sir. Summon email. The following emails have been edited So if you want to write the show, you can contact us at the band at spellburn.com. Uh, we love to get the mail. We try to get to them, uh, read as many as we can on the air. So with no further ado, let's take a look at this week's emails. Well, Jen, you want to start us out? Sure. We do have a couple. Um, emptying the stack from DM Kojo helped a little bit. The first one we've got here is from Ben Mara. He says, Lords of Spellburn. This question may have been asked and answered before on the show or in the comments section, but here it is anyway. What are your top house rules for DCC RPG? Or what modifications have you made to DCC RPG that you've kept in your games? DCC spirit seems to be in the creation and expansion of customization of old school RPGs, so I'm curious what you've done to further the game experience. Keep the blade sharp, Ben. So we can throw this around. Um, we got to make our guests work here. Bring it. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, Terry. What are your top house rules? My, you know, I, I've I've posted this this rule on a uh, on Google Plus a few times, but I, I'm really a huge fan of uh, Daniel Bishop's Peasant Deed. I, I think that's a great house rule, both for uh, zero level characters and for non-warriors that that you know want to try off something fantastic you know and, and that's basically where you have a d die but it's a d6 and on a six you, you know you get the deed and it's sort of like if you had rolled a three uh, as a warrior and and uh, and i think daniel has some limitations on how often he allows it like once per once per combat or something like that but um i, f- I found that to be really useful because people at least, you know, at, at the cons, they tend to get jealous of the warriors. Once the warriors start doing really cool stuff, you know, they they want to try to do some crazy things too, and that's a that's a useful house rule to just throw in there. That sounds cool. It does sound pretty cool. I haven't tried that before, but that does sound like a great way to let someone just try something a little that's out there and give it some sort of mechanic to determine whether it's successful. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it, it's on his blog, um, on Raven Crow King's blog. So I'd say check it out. It's good. Yeah, nice. Jen, how about you? Anything? You got a favorite house rule or favorite thing? Favorite tweak? Uh, favorite house rule is first right of loot. If you've got your funnel characters in front of you, one of them dies, the rest of your own characters get first <laughs> right at that PC's loot. <laughs> yeah, I do I, that one too. I, I just... I... I'm not a huge fan of PvP at my table. I don't have the patience for it. You know, we're all here for the common goal of playing and not backbiting and everything. So keep the peace. Keep your own crap. Move on. (laughs) What about you guys? I mean, I kept a lot of things pretty standard. I think the biggest area where I dabbled and played with uh, during some of my longer campaigns was how to incorporate new characters into the campaign. And, you know, do you bring them in, start them at zero levels, and, you know, we've tried that. Do you bring them in a couple levels lower, but then you missed the zero level aspect? 
you know, eventually we settled on, I sort of did a second funnel. Like once the main group got to about third or fourth level, third level, I think, uh, we actually did a brief funnel to do, to sort of give them replacement characters. So they got the feel for, because I always thought the funnel was very formative of the character. So I hated to skip that with, with something. So we did the sort of second funnel in the same world with a loose tie into them so that they could do that funnel. And then they sort of came back to town and then were able to incorporate those into their stable of characters uh, as some of the higher level ones passed off. That's probably the most experimenting I did with uh, uh, house rules and the campaigns I've done. Um, you know, besides some of the basics that we've talked about before, you know, the first rule loot and, um, you know, things like that. But that, that's probably the biggest thing I've played with, trying to figure out how to neatly incorporate additional characters. Not a bad plan. And for my part, usually um, I don't really have too many house rules. One I have, there's like really no mechanics attached, but I try to get, if you kill something, I want you to describe you know, the, the death scene of destroying uh, whoever you're hitting or criticals, whatever. You know, I kind of try to insist that people tell me a little story about what, how they killed the monster. Now, do you reward them, Job? No, they, that's why I say it's not so much of a house rule. It's for like, <laughs> you know, you just need to tell me what you're doing. Um, yeah, don't just roll a die. Tell me. <laughs> yeah, so I like it's, that. It's not much of a house rule, really. It's just more like uh, you know an unreasonable demand. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. I, I also have uh, I use Doug Kovacs's uh, random item chart, a bunch of like random stuff that he would throw into his games. Oh, like the list of two hundred things. Yeah, um, I got a copy of that that I stole from him. I mean, that he gave me at uh, Gen Con. <laughs> I don't know if he remembers giving it to me or not, um, but I'll uh, I use that too. Cool. I think that's a good one. That big list of things he goes. Did you you know D and D five E actually has a list of a hundred items in it? I think they stole it from Doug. <laughs> Could be. Man, I've been wanting to make a list of a thousand things because I picked up some of those uh, those traveler thousand sided dice. Oh jeez, <laughs> golf cool. balls. D yeah. fifty wasn't enough for you. Yeah. No. No. It's like. It's three dice. It's you know, it's a it's a D one hundred. I'm sorry, a D ten with um, hundreds on it, and then and then a tens, and then a one die. So you can do zero through nine hundred ninety nine. It's pretty cool. Jeez, oh, excessive. Anywho, <laughs> on to the next uh, email, Jen. All right, next one comes from Judge Quinn. Dear Burners, I know many of you write and publish modules. Recently, I've been trying to write a first-level module, and I have a few questions. What do you think is an appropriate length for the module in both encounters and word length? Number two, I always try to make sure every class has a chance to do something important throughout the adventure, but have found that it sometimes feels unnecessary and shoehorned in. So how do you keep the adventure balanced while still giving each class a chance to shine? And I'm a very big fan of the add-ons and tables that come in modules, but at what point do you think it's too much? I would love to add these, but if left to my own devices, I fear my modules would be nothing but maps and tables. Sincerely, Judge Quinn. So we'll take that first question around uh, appropriate length for the module and encounters and word length. Um, hey, uh, Terry, you're you're like the most recently published, right? Uh, yeah, so I don't know if it's the first, if it's the first adventure and it's a level one, I, I would probably 
try to do five rooms, something like that, because um, it gives you a chance to sort of build a st- build a story, um, throw in maybe a red herring, you know, some some empty room that that has something interesting about it. Um, lengthwise, words, geez, I don't know, uh, you know, don't uh, I would I would say don't uh, don't shoot for the moon, you know, try to limit yourself to something like four thousand or five thousand words and. And, uh, and, you know, come up with something tight and, and good. In terms of balance, it's, it's hard, especially for DCC. It's so swingy, you know, and it's even trying to think of a plot is, you know, sometimes you think you know what the plot of the adventure is, but then you run it for somebody and, and the adventure ends up being totally different than what you thought it was. So it's, it's you know, I, I think having some flexibility, uh, flexibility in mind is, is, is a good approach. Don't try to be too rigid. Sound advice, Job. Oh, all right. Well, I, well, I, you, you're I, the only other author per se of first level. Uh, well, yeah, of I modules guess. for DCC, right? I guess so. But I, I mean, Jeffrey's written some stuff, haven't you, Jeffrey? Uh, encounters inside the the free RPG, but not full modules like you guys. Oh. But just some of the. All right. Well, hyper- I'm going to go the other yeah. end of the spectrum because um, I can't scratch my ass with four thousand words. So I would say go for go for ten thousand words. Um, I don't know the number of encounters, but you know as as many encounters as you can fit in ten thousand words, I guess. Um, so I, as far as shoot, uh, I don't know. Are we just supposed to answer all these? As, 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 as far as shoehorning in, you know, stuff for every class, um, I I wouldn't try to do that necessarily. I mean, yeah, you could try to do that. The I usually think about it from the other side of the the spectrum is yeah throw in stuff for different classes but just make sure that you don't uh, make the module unsolvable if you don't have a particular class in the party you know if there right. isn't a thief don't make you know some DC twenty lockpick check on some door that they can't progress or they can't get to some important item and then what's the last thing here. Uh, uh, tables and modules. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. I think an adventure that's just all tables sounds amazing. So <laughs> write ten thousand word <laughs> adventure that's just tables, and um, I will be happy with what you well, create. Probably. Wasn't that the nine hundred ninety eighth conclave of wizards? Bite <laughs> <laughs> oh, me, Jen. <laughs> oh no, it was great. I just oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Terry, do you have an opinion on the the tables or? Yeah, I you know I I like having them, but I but I don't like having too many of them. I mean, I, I sort of enjoy scripted encounters, but I, I do like some amount of uh, of randomness. So um, I, I think it's good to have them. You know, I I guess having fun is sort of the the name of the game. You know, so if if tables will help you as a judge be excited um, because you know you have no idea what could possibly come up, then then I say go crazy with them. All right. Jeffrey, anything to add? Not really. You know, I think I'd have a hard time fitting my stuff into 4,000 words or so. So, But I don't, I don't know if I'd be as verbose as Joe, but, you know, I do think the number of encounters is good. You know, that five or six is, is good, especially for a first level like uh, Terry mentioned, because it gives you a little bit of time to set up, give a little background, uh, you know, throw in that red herring. So I, I do think the, the number of encounters and rooms, you know, what have you, I think that's in the ballpark. I'd probably be slightly more verbose, but maybe I'm overly wordy. And I sort of agree, you got to be careful not to make certain 
areas of adventure entirely dependent on a certain character class or skill, uh, either because they don't have that with them or they fail the role, and then you're leaving the judge to try to fudge something. So it's nice to have, you know, a couple different ways through things that aren't entirely class dependent. Um, you know, several easy ways to work around that. Uh, and as far as the tables and uh, add-ons, I, I don't mind a couple extra tables in the uh, the thing, whether they be random treasure tables, some weird encounter table matrix or something like that. Uh, you know, a two, I don't know where my two mini would come in, but, you know, a couple extra tables or something like that that adds something to the module, not tables just for tables' sake, uh, I, I think is good. But I would be wary of, you know, tables for the sake of having a table. Uh, try to make it something unique. Uh, it, bonus if I can pull it out of there and use it somewhere else for something, because uh, that's always fun too to add to the, the toolbox. Oh yeah. So. And and bonus points if you are going to put a table in there, make it for a funky die. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I absolutely. Mean, give me a D seven. D one thousand. Come on, Quinn. Damn it, Job. <laughs> So, Jen, you do a lot of editing. You've certainly done a, a bunch. What do you, I mean, you, you've, oh, I'm sure, geez. pretty familiar with word counts and things like that and making uh, them overly verbose, trimming them down. And well, what I do you was going to say, it, it usually ranges between six and 10,000. And by the time I get them, it's at a point where, you know, the publisher has pretty much approved the story. So any trimming should really just be cosmetic. As opposed to uh, content, you know, like like for the the Dark Master, I'm not at the content stage with him, but mm-hmm. Stephen Newton, I can come back and say, dude, these two pages need to go. <laughs> Got it. And you know, it's all a matter of you know the relationship you have with the publisher, but um, tables, tables, and more tables. Yeah, that that's like. Ev- most of the ones that I've come across from Job, and yeah, it's fun. I like it because I can make the players roll for me, and, and I don't have to come up with something, you know, as a judge. So I'm, I'm a fan. Cool. We've got one more email in here that's pretty brief uh, from Sean. Says, I get a lot of complaints about the lucky roll having a zero modifier. I hear groaning about it being useless, and then in play, it's forgotten. I like the idea of the birth auger and hate to see it ignored. And I've tried to come up with something to make the players feel like it matters to the game. I've thought about giving them an advantage die when appropriate once per session. What do you think, and what have you tried in your game? Hey, Terry, we'll start with you again, because it's fun. (laughs) Um, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a fan of that. Um, I, I, I sort of think that the luck modifiers are, are special. So, you know, if you have, if you have a birth auger and you have a, and you have a a luck modifier that, you know, to, to utilize it, that makes that character kind of special. I think there, there already is a luck mechanic in place, you know, and there's a lot of things you can do with the luck mechanic and certainly, um, a, a judge who's sort of on his or her toes will be using luck a lot to determine, you know, who gets attention from the beasties and, uh, you know, how all sorts of things happen. So, um, I don't know. Um, I, I, I guess for me, I wouldn't overdo it. 
now I, uh, I I can imagine my players not liking that answer because as a player, I'm sure I you know I would like to use luck as much as possible. But I sort of like the way the birth augers are are implemented as is. Boring answer, I guess. Uh, I'm actually in agreement with you. I'm, I I uh, you know I think it's okay if if you end up not having a modifier to your birth auger. That's you know that's how it is. And like you said, it it makes it a little bit more special for the people that do. Uh, which I think is good. It it sort of gives that I don't know a bit of a reward mechanic. And then there's plenty of ways to still use luck even if you don't have a mo- modifier to the birth auger. So I probably wouldn't go out of my way to try to resolve that. But that a lot of that's because I don't see it as an issue. Um, if if for Sean's games he s- sees it as an issue, you know, I, I think his solution. If if I were to choose a solution, I could see that being reasonable. His advantage die option. Um, but yeah, for my game, I didn't see it hugely necessary. I guess you know if if someone was really adamant that that they wanted it, um, you know I would probably make it random. You know, like they they have their birth auger, but whenever they use it, you know they roll a d three and they flip a coin. Um, if it's heads, <laughs> you know they get plus that d three result. If it's tails, they get minus that d three result. You know, so so over time it's going to really be like they have a zero modifier. But but at any given time they use it. Um, it could help them, and or it could hurt them, and they just won't know until they do it. That's sort of interesting. Gives them something to do, but not always a. a it's not just a gimme. It's, a, it's still a bit of a risk, but gives them something to do. That, that's neat. Right. Just come up with that on the fly. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> All right, take it. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about this uh, earlier because I've got a, a warrior in a game that. Dang it, I've got that negative modifier to my weapon, but so many times, because your luck gets added to that lucky weapon, so many times you end up with a zero on that, as well as on your birth auger. So I was thinking if somebody made enough noise about it, I'd say, hey, give me a luck roll then. If you succeed, then we'll roll a, a, a D3 and we'll add that number to your birth auger or to your lucky roll. If you fail your luck check, we'll add the negative. But that way it's not a zero. (laughs) Yeah, true. Happy to oblige. (laughs) Job, what about you? I just prescribe to the, if it's a negative, turn it into a positive and you're done. (laughs) If you have negative luck in whatever your birth auger is, then you get the positive instead. Wow. Mr. Nice Guy, what happened to making children cry? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's almost more blasé than just leaving it as a zero. That just means he plans on... No, if it's a it, zero, right? leave it as a zero. If it's negative, then make it a positive instead. What, just to make the players happy? Make them feel special? No, just so the birth auger, you know, comes up more often. Because... Well, negatives could come up too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess I'm just a softy. I guess. I'm not used to that response from you. <laughs> yeah. You okay, man? <laughs> uh, I do have a little bit of a temperature. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm guessing so. Oh, that's funny. Okay. I think that wraps up the emails for this evening. Uh, again, if you want to write us, you can write us at band at spellburn.com, and we'll fill that mailbag up, and we'll get to your email on the air. Uh, And with that, let's continue with the interview with Terry. I sent my elf spies to find out what was happening. 
If I were creating a world, I wouldn't mess about with butterflies and daffodils. I would have started with lasers. Eight o'clock, day one. Sorry. Okay, so we are going to interview Terry Olson. Let's see. Let's start. Let's see. Uh, he's written several things for DCC. Uh, a, a couple of things that will that'll come out as we go through the course of the interview. Terry, why don't you just start? Just tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you know, sort of like maybe the fifteen thousand foot view for someone that's uh, either new to DCC, might not be as familiar with the various people that have uh, worked in it, written things for it. Give us that highlight, and then we'll sort of dig into some of the questions and uh, get those skeletons out of the closet. Okay, sounds good. Uh, so. Yeah, so I started playing DCC, I guess, in 2011 or 2012, and uh, somewhere around there, uh, Goodman Games ran a mystery map competition. Uh, I had thought, oh, you know, I hadn't done any writing actually before that for for RPGs at all, and I thought, well, you know, let me give it a shot. Uh, so, you know, I, I submitted this adventure, and it was, I think, a thousand word. You had to write a thousand words and complete this map, and... And uh, I ended up being one of the runners-up, and some some dude beat me, uh, and ended up ended up writing <laughs> the one who watches from below. Now, there might be some angst here, some bitterness. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. It's a, it's a fantastic, fantastic adventure. Um, but uh, yeah, so the, I think the runners-up got approached by by Joseph and and uh, just asked to pitch a couple things and so I I did I I pitched a couple things and then uh, from there started writing on a more regular basis. What, what did you pitch, if I may ask? Well, he asked you know he asked if I remember right um, everyone to come up with adventures on iconic DCC characters and so I had come up with a couple. I actually really wanted to do something with rat face slipshot. Um but but I think Doug was not comfortable with that because he he felt some some attachment to Ratface and and you know I was sort of the the new guy on the block. And so that was kind of sacred. So my second choice <laughs> was doing something with 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 Elzamon. Um because I I I really liked I liked the character of Elzamon from Harley's Adventure in the Rulebook. Uh, so I had pitched um, a couple different adventures with with Elzamon, and Elzamon and the Blood Drinking Box was one of those that came out of that. But um, you know, th- I think you can see like some some other ad- adventures, like uh, Steve Bean did uh, the the Rat King adventure. That's that's part of uh, Chain Coffin, one of the one of the Chain Coffin ones, and Edgar Johnson, I think, did uh, did the. Um, Oh, what is it? Serpent. Serpent. Serpent uh, yeah. Ah. Oh shoot, that's yeah. killing me. <laughs> killing me. It'll it'll come to me just like ah, blood for the super, uh, blood for the serpent king. That was Edgar's, and Steve had Rat King's River of Death. That's right. There's probably others that I that I've forgotten, but we all were supposed to write about uh, iconic DCC characters. That's how those came about. Okay. That that's where the uh, Emerald Enchanter Strikes Back comes from, actually. Ah, and I too wrote uh, a pitch about Ratface. Oh, oh, you did. Oh, well, it, it, what was That's the outcome funny. for yours? Uh, no, but I, 
remember Joe saying something like, for some reason, like multiple people have sent things in for rat for rat face. <laughs> I had a, mine was a whole kind of Egyptian thing where RF wasn't rat face. Even like the medallion was like Rahoman Tepfa or something, and uh, <clears throat> and he made up the name Rat Face because because uh, he had this medallion that said RF on it. It was a magical medallion, and I don't remember. That's all I remember. That's funny. <laughs> I had this thing where 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 Ratface was actually never uh, was sort of stuck in the spirit netherworld because um, Pharaoh was carrying his amulet around, and uh, you know he needed to be reunited with his with his amulet. So this was gonna you know I was gonna try to incorporate the band into into the adventure via Ratface's ghost. Nice. Um, but yeah, it's a testament to Doug, isn't it? That that you know. He puts in this little detail of of Pharaoh having this RF amulet with her, and uh, it spawns these ideas. Just seeing it, that's fun. I don't know. Just to rewind a little bit, um, we also we didn't really get your kind of like your story of how you got into gaming. Oh, sorry. Um, so yeah, I guess my first gaming was um, nineteen seventy eight Holmes Blue Box. I think Very was, nice. was when, when I started. And uh, it was kind of a trip because um, I'd heard a lot about the game. And I, I, I you know, picked up the box with my allowance money and was excited about it. But I didn't have anyone to play with it. And so my, uh, my grandfather offered to, to, to learn how to play it and, and, and DM um, oh wow! <laughs> you know, wh- wh- whatever. I, I think uh, B one was 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 in the blue box actually. Um, oh man! And, and 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 my grandfather was this. Uh, you know, he was a, a retired school teacher, but before that, he he was a, a Methodist minister and was still very religious. And and there was, you know, at that time there was sort of the beginnings of the whole satanic craze with D and D and stuff like that. But uh. I was really impressed with him that he he decided to run me through it. Nonetheless, that's you awesome. Know, my mom yeah. actually ran my first game of D and D for me. Sim- sort of similar, you know. I got the box set. I was Moldvay, but got the box set. And I'm a little kid. I don't really know a whole lot at the time. And my parents, a game's a game, right? And so, you know, my mom, I think, DM'd my first game. You know, back in the day. So I think she only ran one because my parents hated it. But <laughs> you know, it, it set the hook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's hilarious. It's cool. It's, you know, it's funny how hard it used to be to find people to play with. You know, these days it's a piece of cake, but God, man, it used to be really tough sometimes just to find a, a normal, normal group of people. We'd go to the hobby store and, you know, put your name up on a list or something. Where, where are you finding normal groups of people? Yeah, I was going to yeah, say. Gonna say well, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, now with, now with online games and Roll20 or, you know, I guess I shouldn't say I don't. I don't know what normal is, but it's a lot easier to find a game, um, I think, than it used to be. Right? You it, you don't it, agree? It took right. us a couple of years to cultivate our our little group, but I think it's also a population, you know, geographical based thing too. You know, you're you're up there in the the Bay Area with all these people who already play DCC or are already into it. Um, no, not not so much here. If I was still in Vegas, oh, drop of a hat, no problem. Hmm, that's interesting. So, so after your Gramps TPKG in the Moat House, what, what did you do? 
What, what came after that? I, I'm loving the pictures, Mrs. Peyton, man. <laughs> Take that. Well, uh, just a lot of a lot of AD and D, um, AD and D, and then second edition. You know, I I, I played for a bit. But then I, I sort of lost interest, and I popped back in for a little while for third edition, and then sort of faded back out. You know, with D D, it's sort of been years, a few years playing, and then a couple years fading out, sort of yeah, as I got older. Um, but mostly D and never really branched out into into other uh, other systems. Just didn't really have time or make time for that matter. And so you haven't written for any of the other systems out there either. No, no, no. You know, it's it, it's funny. I used to be uh, a musician, and so you know, I had these delusions of grandeur of of making a living as a musician, and and for a while I did, uh, but it was pretty hard, especially in the San Francisco Bay Area. It's 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 not so easy. And if uh, you know, if if you're a gigging musician and you ever want to own a home, um, it's it's super duper duper <laughs> tough. Uh, you know, I was gigging all the time, you know, for a long time, like four or five nights a week. And so there just wasn't a, a whole lot of time. Um, but but eventually I, I moved on uh, and became a physicist. And so, you know, that's that's how I earn my daily bread these days. So that gives me a bit more time. Do you think that has any play in uh, how you write your adventures? Do you put any good physics in there for us? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so <laughs> I do, um, not always intentionally, but, um, certainly Elzamon and the, and the blood drinking box. So the, um, you know, the main artifact in there, uh, you know, year fads box, um, year fad is an, is an anagram for Faraday. And that box is a, is a Faraday cage, which is a, a thing from, from physics and, and electrostatics. And so, you know, a Faraday cage keeps out um, electric fields. And so I wanted to come up with something that, that, that imprisoned or, or, or kept out uh, chaotic things. And so that's where the idea for the blood drinking box came. Nice. Yeah, wow. yeah. Yeah, yeah, Making uh, us all feel dumb over here, man. <laughs> have you read his dice article? <laughs> I know. <right? laughs> Sorry. I was reading Sorry. that and I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like... I, like holy cow! Uh, well, you guys remember <laughs> Terry was the one that that fixed my uh, my uh, halfling uh, two oh, fighting yeah. weapon attack. Uh, oh, I remember that. that yeah, I, I just added that. to it. I didn't fix it, Joe. But I just <laughs> there was nothing wrong with it. Formulas. Well, man. I, I didn't think of a lot of things, and Terry was like, "Whoa, well, all these things!" <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that. Oh man. That's funny. So, so you said you played mainly D and D, but then you switched to DCC. How'd that happen? Did you know? Uh, God, I'm trying to remember. I saw an ad. You know, uh, was it 2011, 2012? There were these DCC ads that you know, uh, same thing that's at the back of the book. You're a reaver. You're a cut purse. You're a slayer. That whole thing. And I saw that somewhere. It was just some advertisement. I, I don't even remember where. And I was like. Oh, that sounds pretty cool. And so, uh, you know, I picked up the rule book and, you know, it's the same story that you hear a lot of people say where, where all of a sudden they get that, they get that spark that they got way back when, you know, sort of like discovering a new game. 
And so, yeah, that's what happened. I, 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 you know, I read the book cover to cover. I was just so stoked on the system and I was really excited about mighty deeds and deity disapproval and the luck mechanic and, and the way spells worked and corruption and mercurial magic and unique monsters, you know, all these sort of mantras of the, of the system that, uh, I thought, Ooh, Ooh, got to play this. And so the first game I played, uh, was run by Joseph at Pacificon and it, and I met, uh, Steve Newton there and re-met Steve Bean. It ended up Steve Bean and I were in the same graduate student housing at UCSE, but we had, we had forgotten that. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Very cool. So, and then you said your first time really writing was for the for the contest. So, I mean, all these years of gaming, and then you you chose this this moment to start writing. What I mean, what, what triggered to go? Oh, hey, here's this contest. I'm oh. gonna go write. I mean, what triggered how that? Yeah, thanks, Jeffrey. I, I was going somewhere with the, with the music comment, and, and I never quite got there. So, the the you know the the playing as a musician gave me like a, a, a serious creative outlet. You know, I, I did a I, I did a, a bunch of writing there, and I guess I, I you know I stopped playing uh, maybe five or, or six years ago uh, for various reasons, and um, I really didn't have a, a creative outlet, so that's sort of been building, and I think uh, uh, writing has been giving me a, a good a good chance to channel that you know creative energy somewhere. Very cool. Yeah, I was curious that how that sense. that part worked out. <laughs> yeah, and I do a lot of writing for my job, but it's it's scientific stuff you know and it's it's a totally different style of writing and so it it sort of doesn't really count for the creative juices yeah Um, let me jump in there then so um yeah i was gonna say (laughs) you have a what's your favorite adventure or or, you know do you have a favorite adventure from any system you know this is gonna sound like i'm i'm kissing up to the boss but i really really like emerald and channer the tile monster. Spoiler alert. The, the yes, tile that of, is my favorite one. <laughs> that is just so freaking cool. I really love that beastie. And I, and I love the, you know, I love the finale at the end of that adventure. It's just, there's so much going on. And, uh, and it's, it's a cool thing to run. So if I had to pick one favorite, um, I would probably pick that. But a, a close runner-up, I think, would be uh, the Purple Planet. I really, really like the Purple Planet. You know, forget anything that, that I wrote. Just DCC84 in and of itself, I think, is fantastic. You know, it's, it, you, have this, you have this hex crawl, and it's really not a lot of words. I mean, when you think, I don't, you know, I don't know how many it is, 30,000 or whatever Harley put in that. But for the number of words it is, it's just so thick with adventure i mean it's 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 thick enough that you know joseph contacted uh the rest of us to help for the kickstarter and it was it was so easy to be inspired and just write a bunch of stuff from that because it was so evocative so that's probably a very close runner-up for me but i you know there are so many great adventures it's 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 hard to pick a favorite i tell you i have an underdog favorite of uh of third third party adventures. I, I think a great one that doesn't get enough attention is the vertical halls. Have you guys checked this out? Gabriel Garcia Soto's adventure. Oh, this is from the, it, the is that the, the one that was also published in Spanish? Yes. Yeah, that's okay. from the, the Spanish contingent there. It's it's digest size. Uh it's got a three D image on the back that you can use three D glasses with. 
Um, <laughs> but it's it's a really cool adventure, and it's got a great hook, and it's just it's super duper fun. But I don't see it getting much love. Uh, so if I if I had to pick a, a favorite underdog adventure, I'd probably pick the Vertical Halls. Yeah, I gotta check that out. I know we picked it up at Gen Con. I guess I just haven't gotten around to that part of the stack yet. Crap. Yeah, yeah. There was a big stack at Gen Con. Yeah. Uh, note to self. Writing that one down, so I hit it this week. Well, in in that vein, um, who would you say is your favorite Appendix N author? Or what would your favorite Appendix N work be? Um, I guess it'd be a, a close tie between uh, Moorcock and Liber. I, I really like the Lankmar stuff, and I, I really like the, the the Elric stuff. Um, so the, those are my those are my two top top guys that I, I like to read. But I I really like Lovecraft. Mountains of Madness is is one of my favorite stories. Uh, all the Barsoom stuff, you know, all the all the ERB stuff is is great. Vance is great. Yeah. Yeah. W- with all of your Purple Planet writings, I was expecting Burroughs to be higher on the list there. But yeah, maybe, maybe um, he's homework now. So, <laughs> you know, it's funny though with with the Purple Planet, the setting was already there. You know, so it it, it wasn't like there there was a need to do a whole lot of mining of of Appendix N to Appendix Nify it. You know, it sort of already came uh, Appendix End. Uh, you know, I mean, there there were there were little things uh, that I know personally I did. I I, I can't speak for the other guys to dip into Appendix N, but I had to think a lot more about Appendix N stuff for, for Elzamon, for example, you know, what stuff I, I was going to draw from there because that was sort of fresh and there was no campaign or world associated with it. Well, very cool. What do you think makes for a good adventure? Huh? Well, I'm, you know, I am still learning <laughs> how to do a good adventure. So, the the two things that that uh, there's two things that 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 I I always try to do well maybe three the, I, I guess the first one is I try to include like a major meaningful choice for the for the PCs something that is is going to hopefully divide the party I think all of these are sort of selfish these things I try to do but um, you know <laughs> I love as a judge I, I love party politics I, I don't like running a game where everybody's in agreement and marching along you know I, I really like for there to be some tension and and you know not PvP like you know Jen was talking about but but more you know I want this but you want that how how are we going to work it out so I try to have some kind of of, of super duper meaningful choice so. Um, like in Rock Awakens, there's this uh, there's this character uh, Ito Kikso, this crazy blue man, and you have to try to figure out: Are you going to kill this dude? Are you going to Are you going to bring him along? Um, he seems crazy. Maybe he's not crazy. And then you know, with the Rock Awakens, are are you going to follow the hooks? There are there are a few major hooks that that adventure gives to sort of distract PCs from what's happening on the Purple Planet. And so the question is, are they going to let themselves be distracted or are they going to sort of stick to, to hunting down greenstones? And then in Tomb of the Immortal Call, there's this, you know, the very end, there are these thrones where people have to decide whether or not they're going to use them. And so that's sort of the, the treasure of the adventure. 
and then uh, then Elzamon, you know, has the box. What are you going to do with the box at the end? Are you going to are you going to give it? Are you going to keep your bargain with the wizard? Are you going to give it to the cleric that you found? Or, or are you going to open it? Um, so I think having some sort of meaningful choices is always good. The other thing I like to do is to have at least one fun NPC to run. You know, one character that, as a judge, you can have fun with, and and hopefully the players have fun with it. You know, someone they can talk to. And um, someone they can bring along if they choose to, or if they choose to wipe them out right away, that's fine too. Um, so, <laughs> so like Rock Awakens has this this guy Itukiso that I that I talked about before. Tomb of the Immortal Call has a vessel that they can bring, and then then Elzamon has has Elzamon. You know, that you can you can play Elzamon and really screw with the party. And I guess the final thing is is Easter eggs. I like to have. That was going to be my next question. What, 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 what Easter eggs that? are in your modules? Oh, so. what Easter eggs? All right, yeah. yeah so, so. I don't know if you remember Joe, but but at the at the how to write adventures that don't suck um, last year, I, I think he, I think you know that Brendan made this statement where where uh, he was talking about having a secret shape, have you know have something about your adventure that only you know, and maybe the right. players maybe never discover it, but it's yeah. something that sort of entertains you and 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 keeps it going. So for me, I guess some some Easter some Easter eggs. Well, one thing, if you look in the Purple Planet Companion, there is the magic section, and there are mercurial effects, and there's you know the the D100 table of mercurial mercurial effects, and Daniel Bishop wrote half of those, and I wrote half of them, and uh, one of the effects is a uh, GBTB, uh, which is a nod to Spellburn. The you know there's the audio <laughs> clip that you guys play GBTB go beyond the book go beyond the book. <laughs> right awesome and so and so there there is a there's a mercurial effect where you go beyond the book and if you make a luck check you 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 get a bonus to your to your spell check that's the difference between your luck and and your luck check uh, what else oh, that's so that's nice yeah so that was yeah. a little nod to to you guys so Ito Kikso um, is an anagram for Quixote. Uh, if if you look at that name, the, in the Purple Planet, there are Purple Planet beasts, and there's a, a beast called Srif X R I F, and that's sort of a play on Firks um, from uh, Jack Vance's yes, yeah yeah Eyes uh, of the Overworld. Cud- so they're uh, cudgel, cudgel exactly. And then Job in uh, in the Monster Alphabet for for S is for Sonic yeah. There is uh, one of the effects I wrote. There's a uh, Elgad Lazifrel, who was some. I, I describe it as some uh, creature or something that could that could make notes that would shatter different materials. And uh, that Elgad Lazifrel is an anagram for Ella Fitzgerald, and so that's <laughs> from the Is It Live or Is It Memorex commercials where yeah. she would sing and the, and the glass would shatter. Wow! Oh man! So, so little stuff like that. I like putting in little. Little thing, which is but. also perfect for Sonic, yeah. And, yeah. Nice touch. I want to throw in too that <clears throat> I had worked with everybody for their letters, but you know, none of the other people that worked on that book will listen to Spellburn, obviously. So then I feel <laughs> safe telling you that, uh, you know, and I emailed you about this that I really liked your uh, your entry the most. Oh, cool, thanks. Like, you just brought it, and I really liked that uh, S's for Sonic, one of my favorites. 
Well, again, I mean, the book was already so strong, you know, like, like before, uh, before I wrote that, I, I read the whole book, um, just to sort of get an idea. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Yeah. Just get, a, <laughs> get an idea what, what you were going for, you know, cause I only had one letter, man. So I had to make it count. Yeah. You totally uh, fit in. You totally like had the same exact vibe. So I totally, I noticed that you did that. I was very impressed. Cool. Well, I think, you know, for for a, a freelancer, like a lot of the stuff I've done for um, for Joseph has been supplementary writing. You know, maybe maybe half my writing has been me myself and, and half my writing has been supplementary, you know, like for for Purple Planet, there's supplementary writing for Monster Alphabet for, you know, D50 for and even for Lankmar, I'm doing supplementary writing. I don't know how the other guys uh, approach it, but for me, it's super helpful to take the time and just read the whole stinking thing. You know, <laughs> read read whatever it is you're, you're going to supplement. Take the time and and get the vibe and and try to understand what the main author is going for. And uh, you know, it'll probably save time down the down the line. Awesome. Well, looking forward to working with you again. Yeah. On whatever things come down the pike here. Are you going to do another alphabet? I don't know. No, I'm not doing any more alphabets. No way. No more alphabets. <laughs> All right. No. Oh, my God. Yeah, I've already that, talked that about was, <laughs> That went from, nah, I don't know. No. <laughs> nice, Job. Yeah, no, I couldn't Subtle. write for like two weeks at all. I couldn't write anything. I could barely write my name like on a, on a form that I had to fill in. <laughs> I, I had, believe it. I had no ideas at all. I had no creativity. It totally sucked it all out of me. I uh, actually the myth the mythos alphabet. Have you heard about mm -hmm. that one? Yeah, I was just gonna say I've heard I've heard rumblings of that. Yeah, so I, that was that uh, was sort of my idea. I, I wrote back to Joe and I was like, "Man, you're doing these Kickstars. Nerds love Cthulhu." I was like, "You need to do a mythos al alphabet." And here's like all these letters. I had all these ideas and I put it on there. And he's like, "Great, you're gonna write it." I was like, "Hell no!" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "I just think it's a good idea. I want you to make money." <laughs> oh, yeah i was like i'm not contributing sorry <laughs> well nice. that will be cool when that gets written yeah brad mcdevitt's actually working on that and uh there was something in the gen con program guide uh 2015 so it looked pretty interesting yeah nice yeah. boy that's a that program guide is a beast isn't it it's pretty the most the most recent one it's it's amazing yeah, it's all the good stuff that's crazy in. big <laughs> the program guide it's a good doorstop well i, I mean, mean for the for how many copies did we end up with <laughs> well just value wise i mean there's so much in there oh, yeah. for the for the for the price definitely uh, oh yeah uh, yeah I, I i agree with that statement i mean i think the first time what are they like 20 30 bucks or something 20 yeah yeah, thirty bucks. Thirty bucks. Yeah. yeah, maybe two years ago it was twenty bucks, and then thirty something like that. Yeah, and it went from like eighty pages to two hundred and some. Yeah, yeah. The first time yeah. I was like, "Man, who's going to pay that for the program guide?" And then I actually flipped through it. I was like, "Holy crap, there's a lot of stuff in here." Yeah. Well, it's like become the annual, I guess, sort of, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Rock Awakens was actually supposed to be in the program guide originally. Oh. At some point during the process, Joseph decided to do the the eighty four point ones and the you know the just like Chain Coffin has an eighty three point one, 
I don't know when that happened, but originally Rock Awakens was supposed to be an adventure for the program guide. Yeah, do you know what a point one is? Do you? Because uh, I haven't read one. I don't understand what the. I think. I, um, I, oh, go ahead, Jen. Oh, I, I was just going to say. I think it's because it's meant to be a supplement to fit inside the box. Because we haven't seen point ones until now. We've seen point five, right. but never the point yeah. ones. So. I and, suspect and Jim just it wrote, has something to do with that. Yeah, Jim just wrote, uh, Jim Wampler just wrote point two for Purple Planet. So he, he just okay. wrote 84.2. And, you know, Mike wrote 83.1 for the Chain Coffin. And maybe he's working on an 83.2 also. I don't know. I, I was just asking because I wasn't really familiar. One of my friends at work is, uh, you know, collects different things. He's like, oh, I want to get, I want to get all this DCC stuff. And it's like, what the hell is this? I don't understand. Why is it at point one, point two, point five? What the hell? Well, it's like eighty four A, eighty four B. I'm yeah. And he's like, what are all these different yeah. covers? I don't understand. I tell him just to get one of everything and be happy. And that's what I told him. I was just like, buy it all. <laughs> so Terry, would you happen to have any tips for aspiring RPG writers? Sure. So I, I would guess that the first thing is make sure, you know, have some sort of acceptance that this is going to be a lot of work for a very little financial payback. You know, that this this needs to be a passion and it's going to be a lot of time. I mean, even even writing something, you know, <laughs> Job says he can't scratch his ass in 4,000 words, but, you know, even 4,000 words takes a while. You know, I mean, um, Job, there was one Spellburn way back where you quoted some figure, something like, um, in a good week, you can get 1,800 words. Am I remembering that right? Something like that? Yeah, I'm, I'm beyond that point now. <laughs> Where, where, where are you now? Which direction? Yeah. <laughs> well, for everything I write, I wait till the last week and then I write it all. So, oh <laughs> so I can do 10,000 words in a week. Oh, my God. All right. Well, no wonder yeah, so you're I, So I, I guess, yeah. So, so tip number one is, is to, to choose something that, that you're very passionate about and that um, even if no one gave you any feedback on it, and no one ever reads it, that it's something you can be proud of and something, something that, that, that you can like. You know, I, I think that'd be the, the first thing. Do it, do it for you, right? And, okay. then, uh, and then the rest sort of falls into place. If it's something that you're passionate about and you're accepting the hard work, then, then it's just, I think, a matter of, of persistence and, and being open to take, uh, to take critique and, and just roll with it. Rock Awakens, actually, Joseph will probably remember this. The first draft of, of the adventure, um, I don't know how it is with Joe, but, but for me, typically, you know, I'll have, to, I'll have to submit a blurb. You know, and Joseph will refine that blurb until he likes it story-wise. And then once there's the blurb, <laughs> then there's the encounter table and the map. And we'll iterate on the encounter table of the map. And then there'll be sort of an overview on how the adventure will go. And then, you know, we'll iterate on that. So notice through all of this, the adventure itself has not been written yet, right? And so we're just sort of outlining the skeleton of it and making sure it all looks good. And then after all that gets a stamp of approval, then, then you know, the adventure actually starts getting written. 
but uh, but you know, for for Rock Awakens, I got all the way to that last stage, and uh, I had this puzzle that that um, Joseph was like, "Man, this is just too complicated. You're gonna have to go back to square one." And so I did. I'd gone all the way through this, and uh, and you know, he had said, "Well, if if you wanna." You know, if you want to change this or something, that that's fine with me. But um, you know, once you get so far, it's kind of hard to, to at least for me, to alter something. I'd rather just, you know, be Shiva the Destroyer and just start again from scratch. And so that's that, that's what I did. Was the Another original tip. puzzle a, a, like a hardcore physics problem or something? I mean, <laughs> no, it was no, it was just a puzzle that had to do with uh, it, it required some some mapping. To, to really solve it and okay. and Joseph didn't want mapping to be required essentially okay you know which Sounds is reasonable. a to- totally fair fair critique and and I you know I, I completely understood it cool uh, so be flexible that's the other tip <laughs> yeah be passionate yeah. be persistent and be flexible but I think those that's really good advice well Terry sir what do you want the Spellburn audience to know about Terry Olson. Uh, let's see. Well, I'm very stoked about the DCC community as a whole. I think that uh, I think we're all really lucky in terms of having a, a great game, and for the most part, there are are lots of of uh, really good people uh, in the in the community. Very positive, very energetic. Um, so that would be the first thing is that I, you know, I'm really happy to be uh, sort of a part of this game and a, and a part of this uh, community. It's a lot of fun. And the, the, I guess the, the thing that I like about writing these things the most is there's no better joy for me than, you know, getting a play session report and having it go completely differently than what I thought the adventure plot you know plot in quotations was i you know i love the rpgs are, are a lot like uh they're a lot like jazz you know like like jazz players there's this thing called the rule the uh the real book where a lot of jazz standards are just sort of sketched out the melody's written um and the chords are written but besides that nothing's written you know and so players get together they open up the real book they see the skeleton for the song and they play the song you know and two different bands can play um, my funny Valentine out of out of the real book, and they'll sound completely different. You know, they'll have very very different interpretations of the same written thing, and uh, you know, I feel like adventure writing is a, is a similar deal in a way. Whoever sits down with your module and 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 plays it is is going to come up with something totally different than than what you thought. And to me, that's the most uh, rewarding part of of writing, and that's why I do it. That is absolutely why I do it because that that's so much fun. I guess the other thing to know is that I'm 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 sticking at it and I'm I'm gunning for for all these big names like Bitman and Stro, <laughs> <laughs> Curtis. Oh, so you you guys big. watch out! I'm coming for you. <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, uh, you guys got any more questions? I think we kind of re- uh, covered everything here. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think we did pretty. I think we got. We got through yeah. pretty much everything. Yeah. I think we got a show here. Uh, I think so. At least a few good sound bites. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for joining us tonight, Terry. I uh, appreciate you taking time out and talking to us and letting us ask you questions and go through it. Um, oh, yeah. Thank you. It, it, was, it was a lot of fun. Cool. 
So uh, that's a show tonight. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll be back next time. See everybody. See ya. And thanks, Terry. Bye, listeners. Bye. Take, take care, guys. You've been listening to the Spellburn Podcast, copyright 2016. Bumper music is provided by the band Glitter Wizard and is available at glitterwizard.bandcamp.com. Follow the show on Twitter at Spellburn and our website at spellburn.com. Email questions and comments to theband at spellburn.com. Thanks for listening.